Do you ever think to yourself, how the fuck did I get here? Each disparate experience, job, body of work in your trajectory, how does it all add up and culminate into the moment you're in right now? And how you carry yourself professionally as an artist, how does it all add up? For me, thinking back on the last 10 years, sometimes the trajectory seems insane. Sometimes it kind of makes more sense than others. Um, But in that, there was a lot of anxiety, self-doubt, self-deprecation, feeling that I'm not good enough or that um, opportunities aren't coming at the time that I sort of feel like I need them to come and then spiraling into this abyss of shame and thinking, well, maybe they're not happening for a reason and maybe I don't deserve those opportunities. The art world and creative industries is a tough field to try to stay afloat in for many reasons. But getting through those moments sometimes takes someone who sees the potential in you, the good side in you. Maybe you're not a total fucking asshole all the time. Though in my case, in my 20s, I probably was an asshole all the time. But someone to take you through that journey as sort of a coach, a mentor. And I can think of those people in that time that have acted that way. I think about my first art world job out of college and I was working at a little gallery in um, the Lower East Side which then moved to Brooklyn that was called Recession Art and I think about Emma Katz who ran that gallery who treated me amazingly and and sort of believed that I could um, help run the gallery curate some shows, kind of help with programming. I wrote amazing interviews back then that I still look at and think, damn, I kind of knew how to write at some point. Later on, I think about Bill Carroll, who I met at EFA, the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts, um, who really taught me sort of how to comport myself in a professional manner in the art world and kind of maybe tamed some of the some of the maniac in me, but understood, um, really understood that I had, you know, a certain eye for things and appreciated sort of the way that I, I see things within the visual arts. And then there's colleagues, too, that can act as your mentor. I think about Paul John and the incredible amount that I learned from him just in being a friendly person because that doesn't always come naturally to me, though I'm working on it. Um, I think about Daphne Toronto, who was my collaborator during Fully Booked, and um, thinking about how she perceived kind of a project also in sort of a design way, like a total design way, um, thinking that everything really has to look good, um, and also broke me out of my shell Um, I met a lot of artists through her, and also she kind of took me down this journey of um, exploring, you know, art of the Middle East. 
And moving to London more recently, I felt like I've been in a similar situation of kind of trying to make sense of where I am in the world. How do I fit in to this art community now? And in a lot of ways, it felt like starting over. And Kira Blakey is sort of one of those people to me that has helped me kind of feel um, acclimated to the, the, the art ecosystem in London. Um, I met Kira when I was doing a work placement at Camden Art Center, and she was working there as a curator during that time doing a maternity cover and um, was incredibly kind of inviting, took me out to lunch the first day, asked me a lot about what my interests are, what I do. And I think ever since then, as I've seen her kind of um, just be doing amazing work, um, and now is the director of New Contemporaries, which is a platform and arts organization that I really admire, and is kind of doing these amazing things in the world, it... It sort of meant a lot for Kira to agree to come and do an interview with me for this podcast. Because in a way, it is once again that sort of sense of, of mentorship, which she speaks about a lot in this episode. Mentorship is a way of working that Kira practices on multiple levels. And New Contemporaries as a platform, I think, is a great place for her to exist with those values. So if you don't know about New Contemporaries, and this is not to just be plugging an institution now, but it started in 1949. New Contemporaries is a series of ongoing exhibitions that is submission-based, and eligibility um, for that tends to be supportive of people who are very early on in their career. So these are people who have just left um, a program such as even a bachelor's degree or an MFA. Um, There's a selection panel and it happens. Um, It will, um, the exhibition will take place in other institutions. Previously, it's happened at places like South London Gallery and the next iteration is actually happening where Kira and I met each other at Camden Arts Center. So in our conversation, we talk actually a lot about how people break into this world and and what kind of what nurture looks like for um, for people who may not have um, have the the years of experience kind of navigating what is a very confusing world. Um, And the art world, I think, within creative industries is maybe one of the most confusing. In our conversation, we also touch upon some um, some of Kira's previous work working in public art and how that sort of informs her directorship now. Um, and also strategies for just how do, how do platforms such as New Contemporaries and others like it uh, continue to exist moving forward, continue to support themselves, and most importantly, continue to support artists, whether that be in the form of mentorship, professional support, artist fees, travel fees, accessibility. These are some really important questions that I think a lot of people are asking right now, and it was great 
to hear from Kira um, on all of these topics. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, Into the Paint is going to be at the Whitworth Art Gallery this weekend, and I will be tabling at Bound Art Book Fair, and hopefully I'll be meeting um, lots of people who are, you know, outside of my circle, which is, uh, which is great, because this podcast has really sort of been kind of radiating out from people that I know or am, am close to, and really the the goal here is to be talking to as many people as possible, and hopefully also um, allow myself to be vulnerable to conversations that I might not be used to having or are somewhat uncomfortable. Um, and I think this really just depends on the guests that I'm speaking to. So I'm looking forward to meeting lots of people in Manchester this weekend. Into the Paint is also now a little bit upgraded as far as, uh, as, far as tech goes and as far as software goes. I've um, been using Reaper to do these um, recordings, which I'm loving. And this is not an advertisement for Reaper, but um, I think if you are a artist or on a budget and are thinking about doing some audio work, I think Reaper is a great option. Their license fee is only like 60 quid, something like that, and completely reasonable. I feel like it's really changed my game. Um, Moving forward, we have some really good interviews coming up. Um, And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kira Blakey. supposed to be seeing an artist from uh new contemporaries yeah and um, but i ended up just having to work this morning by the way this is oh, so no. boring i don't um, want to start in this way wait but well you said i mean we can we can we can edit <laughs> anything out you said you do volunteering is that part of the new contemporaries thing or no i think uh, not to start by being super negative but i'm definitely one of those people that says yes to everything and takes way too much on. Yeah. Um, and then has that terrible imposter feeling of never being able to do enough. Um, but no, I'm I'm two and a half months into a new job, so I'm director of New yeah, Contemporaries. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. I, I haven't seen you since you took the you took the directorship. Yeah. So. I don't feel like I've seen anyone since. <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's an incredible organisation. It was founded in 1949. So it's 75 years next year. And I like to talk about it as the longest standing artist development programme in the UK yeah. that's consistently supported artists from art school into um, professional practice, basically. So yeah. historically, or, or really up until now, that has been um, almost like a bridging organisation. So supporting artists from graduation um, into a professional environment by way of a major touring exhibition. Yeah. So we partner with institutions all around the UK 
I mean, we open an exhibition regionally and then we tour it to London. So this year it was the Grundy in Blackpool. And then mm. in January we opened the same exhibition at Camden Arts Centre. Amazing. Where we met, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a really nice um, bit of serendipity to, for me. Um, but I think I think what's really exciting about the role or why I wanted to take it on is there's, there's an incredible alumni. So it really is about providing... I guess a kind of best practice or sorry best um survey I guess of emerging practice and when you say graduate this is people right out of their MFA or BA MA MFA um and also non-affiliated programs in the last few years and is there a um is there a criteria like you are able to apply within that year of after graduation or something exactly like that? yeah, yeah okay. um so th- there is a selection fee it's 25 pounds that goes directly back into supporting artists yeah so so while the program culminates in this big really important exhibition there's also a really amazing important artist development program mm. so there's mentors from people right, in the, the mentorship sector. i was wondering if that yeah. was the the volunteering bit that you were mentioning or no i think no. i think so we try to follow best practice and that's really important to us as, as an organization so we pay everyone we work with right in, including oh, okay. the artists yeah so this year we have 55 artists is that benchmarked on like um london living wage or it's benchmark following artist newsletter an guidance okay. yeah. um but i think there's a lot more we could do because yeah. you know if, if, if you think about it with well actually maybe a better way to preface this is with the increase in fees in 2011 so you know when I went to art school it was free okay didn't have right. to pay anything yeah. and now it's about 10,000 pounds everything has fees now I know I I'm, know I'm, su- I'm surprised more things in the art world aren't like subscription like what do they call that seamless capitalism or something oh yeah thank you something yeah. to think about um <laughs> What was I saying? Yeah, yeah. I think with the increase in fees for me, it's a, there's a really important question around who who gets to be an artist today. Mm. So I grew up in the northwest. I hadn't even been to a museum until I was twenty. I didn't even know that art was a thing you could go and do. I just knew I had this love of it, um, and it was free to go to art yeah. school. So mm. I think what I'm really conscious of is how how we protect the sector and part mm. of that and this is my predecessor and the amazing work that she did Kirsty Og with the team um was to enable non-affiliated programs to apply to new contemporary so places like syllabus or um open school east in mm. margate so that those students are, are, are also um, applicable to apply um but no the volunteering is separate to okay. new contemporary so <laughs> I, I i've always done lots of mentoring and I, I do it formally with places like Up Projects at the moment or Metroland Cultures yeah, in North West yeah. London. But I also just do it informally, so people that I meet. Yeah. Um, because it's so hard. You know, you and I spoke about this so much, mm-hmm. so much, especially when you just moved here from New York. Like, how do you get into it? In yeah. Inverted commas, and what is that thing we're all trying to get into? Um, mm. Well, you know, that's interesting because I was just talking to someone yesterday, um, also. Um, or I was overhearing a conversation between two people about um, kind of breaking into the record or like record labels mm. and the that most record labels don't have a submission policy anymore, right? And how most um, most galleries, especially in the commercial sector, 
don't really do um, portfolio reviews or submissions anymore. So I think, yeah, it, getting back to that, how, you know, how do you break in um, is a huge question. And really, uh, I think um, the art world in London and the art world in New York both share this, like, um, there is only, the only way you really can break in is to, um, is to, you know, do the networking and kind of be social, but maybe not everyone is great at that. And well, I think this is what makes like kind of submission-based things important, right? So that there is an opportunity to show your work or, or you know, not having to be, um, you know, not having to have, I mean, it's good. You want people to have like a professional um, practice, but maybe people who are still in that emerging phase haven't developed that yet. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's there's lots of things that I could respond to there. Um, and I've actually been doing one of the first things that I've done with this, the team is a review of the selection process. Mm. Um, and you know, we we have a great great board of trustees at, at New Contemporaries, which is you know really amazing for me because we're a tiny tiny team and. They, they've supported me with a review of, of how people apply because I think there's lots of questions around having a fee mm. and who perhaps you know is, is that an, that's obviously an access barrier for lots of people particularly yeah. in the financial climate and also this question of what is our role and can we be everything to everyone which mm. of course we can't be but there's definitely something about new contemporaries that I felt before I took this job on and I still feel like it now and I think a lot of artists or young artists and students that you speak to feel that it, that it is a level playing field in the sense that you feel like you could actually get in mm. you know, this idea of breaking into something and those opportunities are so few and far between and part of what I'd really like to do is to keep building on that and, and essentially demystify the art world. So right, I think, right. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned about commercial galleries not doing portfolio reviews or even just this idea of what a commercial gallery is so so trying to break down those different elements of the sector and there's some great organizations that I love that I think do really you know are starting to do really great work like that there's an organization called Gertrude which was set up by the people that um, run Sunday Painter Gallery the commercial Mm. gallery in South London. That's a great name Sunday Painter. I'm a Sunday Painter now currently actually. Me too. Um, But that's about, um, I I think, trying to move away from the market in the sense of empowering young artists and also art curious people who might want to buy work but don't Mm. know how, again, how to get into it from the other side. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. So I'm trying, that's my kind of thinking like, what what are the opportunities for for supporting and kind of prizing open some of those, um, what feel like quite invisible processes? And some of that invisible process, you know, to be really, blunt it, it is by design um I, I remember you know I, you, your point around um not everyone is a great you know you're a great speaker you're mm. a great networker well thank you, you yeah are. <laughs> um I'm a real introvert and I'm really shy and I've really had to learn how to you know go out into mm. the world and I remember um someone when I was a young student saying oh you know just go and just go up and talk to them like just go and do this like networking thing and I was like what is this weird networking thing and I did I went and spoke to this person that I'd randomly met in the Netherlands on this random project and they just looked at me like I was so stupid and I was so mortified that I don't think I really ever did any networking again for about 
seven years because I was so ashamed. Oh, um, man. So, you know, that, that point around how do we celebrate different ways of being as well, that's really important to me so that it's not just the loudest voices in the room right, that can right. succeed. And we, we recognise the different characteristics. Yeah, I think, well, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot for myself, just, yeah, looking at, not to not to turn this, you know, <laughs> on me, but I, I have thought a lot about, like, I think naturally... I can be quite a loud person and how how I have to be mindful of the quieter voices um mm. you know most of the time my volume well, well I admittedly understand that I probably don't um like I'm probably wrong about most things but I, I don't know the way I brought was brought up was to kind of like shout Right. Like this is sort of like how my mom is and um, who's going to listen to this episode. Um, but, you know, it's it's been sort of like I think I've had to learn to kind of tone it down. Mm. Right. Because then I'm like, oh, am I just being like a dick, you know, where where the intention is to try to, um, you know, it's always been to, you know, try to advocate for my platforms or something mm. like that. But I'm I'm not sure. Like I think um, I would if I had the job of directorship somewhere, I would like totally mess it up. Like you know what I mean. So so in a way, I I think it, I think it kind of goes like I don't know both ways. Like I think I don't I think what am I saying? I don't think that being loud is wrong. That's not what I mean. It's a great thing, and I love to be around that energy because it's mm. it's energizing and. You know, sometimes, of course, it isn't like anything. I think it's just about, you know, perhaps, you know, where I think I'm a little bit older than you, but the way I grew up was always, you know, you never celebrated the introvert. It was mm. always wrong or, you know, you needed to be louder. So I think, yeah. that, you know, that's a big part of what... Do you think that comes from sort of like the the geography in which you grew up into in the Northwest? And when you say the n- Northwest, mm. where exactly? Yeah, I grew yeah. up um, on the Lancashire-Cumbria border. Mm. I went to school in the South Lake District. Okay, um, yeah. So about an hour from north of Manchester. Okay, cool. In a tiny village. So there wasn't really... It was beautiful, um, but there wasn't much around, so I was desperate to move to London. Um, no, I don't think it is where I grew up, because my sister's much more confident than oh, really? I was. <laughs> um, I think it's just my nature. Um, but I always struggled at school in the sense of, you know, especially when I was younger, making friends. Mm. Um making myself sound like such a <laughs> where is me um so and, you weren't sitting at the cool kids table well, at, no. I can't remember no you kind of were maybe a bit you're straddling but, the but I, I I think um I was lucky I did go I went to a, just a normal comprehensive school and it, it was a really great school and eventually I had some great teachers that sort of recognized and I felt supported in but you know, I, I definitely, I am always looking for the quiet person in the room that doesn't feel confident yeah. to speak. Well, that's amazing then. It, it seems like, um, it seems like New Contemporaries in a way is a great, um, is a great organization for you to work in just given, you know, the values of 
the organization where it's it, you know it you could have chosen I'm sorry I just have seen your mug and I can't <laughs> yeah, I'm like I don't actually know who this woman is <laughs> uh, it's Gemma from the only way is Essex okay. one of my favorite <laughs> characters ever this is one of the shared mugs between the other studios on the... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no it's, it's problem. It's um, an, an excellent artwork in itself. Um, so I think someone must have made this, I like, think... custom, but... A hundred percent. I'm just going to leave that there so you can see you. it. Someone, uh, someone who is very outspoken and has an incredible sense of humour. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you could have... Um, um, you could have chosen a path of working in the commercial art world and working with superstars um, who are already established, but to kind of take this more caring, mentoring role, right, mm -hmm. is maybe indicative of that kind of, I mean, not that everyone who's emerging is a quiet voice necessarily, mm -hmm. but they, you know, won't have the won't have the impact or won't have the network yet, you know, may not have the reach, may not have the um, visibility. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if, yeah. if those things kind of work hand in hand with... Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been really, really lucky. And when I was in my early mid-twenties in London, it was still a place that you could, you know, afford to rent a small studio and I sat up a project space when I was 25 called Legion TV because oh, wow. I didn't know how to get a job in the art world. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it, it was still a time when you could do that. So me and my best friend at the time ran this project space in Haggerston. Oh, cool. And there wasn't, it's such a horrible cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway, but there was nothing there. There was just yeah. a Tesco. Well, um, there's still kind of nothing there except for like really overpriced bars, like cocktails yeah. and stuff. But yeah. still like, uh, you know, it's funny, those neighborhoods like Haggerston, Dalston, mm. I'm sort of, you know, when people are like, yeah, there used to be galleries. I was just like, oh, I don't even know where they would be. Like, well, yeah, I guess yeah. there were lots more sort of warehouse industrial right, spaces right, yeah. that have been turned into these really fancy cocktail bars. Or coffee shops and or co something. You know, yeah. like, there were, um, friends of ours had um, a project space up the road on Dalston Lane, and I think it's now an all press. So oh, yeah. they've, they've just been gentrified. Because um, that, that was like an old factory, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah. That, um, and there was also Doomed Gallery. Oh, Everyone yeah. always talks about Doomed Gallery. It used to be on like... Um, Ridley Road. I don't but know. yeah, there was apparently a whole little There was a yeah, yeah. I mean that that's what happens. They you know, they open up and they close. Yeah. Most most galleries close um I think it's something like ninety or seventy percent close with, yeah. in the first well, ten how, years. How long did your project space last? I stayed for three years. Oh wow. Or four years. And then it still exists in a form, a sort of peripatetic form. I can never say that word. <laughs> now which is amazing because that's 15 years later almost um but that why we did that was to support artists who had just graduated so we commissioned artists to make new work and then we presented it as a solo show mm. and we got funding from the arts council oh amazing um, so when was like right around when was this kind of all happening about yeah. 15 years ago okay yeah, yeah. so what's that so yeah the yeah. arts council this was back when there was still like the Project grants were like a little bit more substantial. Was that the funding? That yeah, you so we would yeah. have project grants. I don't know if it's that they were more substantial. It still felt really hard to get them. Mm. Um, but I think that thing, you know, the cost of living just wasn't as right. expensive. Yeah. Like I yeah, lived yeah. in Peckham, 
and I think my rent was 350 quid. It was just a different, yeah. obviously, a different time. Um, and it was possible to do those things, maybe in a way that just, I mean, I'm a walking cliche, I know, but, <laughs> but it, you know, in a way that isn't now, although there has been a lot of great new spaces opening in London. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really exciting to see in Freeze. Um, but just to finish the trail of thought and your question, sure. I, I've, you know, I was really lucky to have worked in some great institutions. I was a curator at Art in the Underground for seven years. I left to go to Nottingham Contemporary and then mm. Camden Art Centre where we met. And then most recently the ICA. Um, so I've been able to work with lots of incredible artists all at different stages yeah, in their careers. Amazing. But I think what be- became really um, a sort of really strong feeling for me was if we're not going, if, we're, if we don't protect the sector at this early stage and it's not just graduates it's at school as well because Mm. of the erosion in funding in schools and there won't be these artists to work with I can hear my dad in my voice (laughs) Um, we won't you know we won't have it will be a very monoculture type of artist because of that question that I started with who who will get to be an artist yeah I I mean I also think the art um, the art programs um, in this country kind of have also this um, want to make sure my words like are at you know considered here but it seems like there's a lot of um, because the fees are so high um, kind of rec- recruiting um, very actively amongst folks who you know are going to live here for a year and then kind of move back home mm-hmm. without really like an like a thinking of well if these are the artists we're producing like how did that they then fold into the art landscape Mm. here Mm. um is is something i've been thinking Mm. about a lot sort of like the the over professionalization of the art world with requiring an mfa which is becoming more and more expensive and then um and then it, it it also seeming like um there's not really a lot of uh, education within the programs of, well, then now what do you do with this MFA? Mm. Like, where do you go from here? It's all, like you were saying, like demystify things mm. because I think it's actually quite, um, um, what is that bird? That's like the craziest sounding <laughs> bird I've ever heard. He's, he's vibing with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it, um, God, there's so many things to say on that and I feel like we might have spoken about this before, but yeah. two things, there was... Um, I started to read on on the train on the way to here, which a colleague sent to me, um, an article by the White Pube from, I think it was the beginning of October, about the history yeah. of art schools. And I, th- I, I can't remember the exact date, but it's something like there were no art degrees in the UK before 1972 or 1978. Oh, no yeah. So what did we do? What might have been 1960? I can't remember, but around that time. So what, what did artists do before then? I thought, wow, that was... Yeah, that's insane. Fascinating. So, so where were the? Yeah, I I would wonder where the UK artists were getting their education. Yeah. Would would it be like mostly in the states? Well, I I think it perhaps was more that they weren't. Mm. This is just me hypothesizing. Right. So this professionalization that you talk Interesting. about. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and that just to go. There's a couple of things on that. Um, you know, what what is the role of artists in society? Mm. And that's, I, I, you know, that's something that I think a lot about. And I remember when I was speaking to someone from the Arts Council recently and and she was saying to me, you know, we really have to th- rethink that, that role and this idea that artists are going to come out of art school and they're going to get gallery representation. Mm. 
um, and there's other ways to participate and I think sure yeah um someone like Polly who's the director at Open School East is really asking those questions in an incredible way um but that also leads on to your point around what happens to the students you know when when they're graduated where do they go and that's something that her and I have spoken about in terms of Margate um because Margate you know people call it Shoreditch on Sea but it's <laughs> I, I you know I visited there last week and it's it's now so expensive that lots of the students that go there and also of course the people um you know the local community that live there the rents are extortionate and they can't afford to stay there so those students are going to have this education in margate at open school east so if if people don't haven't heard of open school east i can't remember how long ago it was founded but it's a non-affiliated i guess master's program yeah and when i say non-affiliated it's not part of the I don't know it's not like an accredited yeah. university yeah. program. Yeah. But an incredibly well-respected well um, alternative art school. I don't like to use that word alternative, mm. actually. Um, but is it? Polly and I were talking about this, that, okay, so you have this cohort come through, you train them up, and then they have to move back to London or wherever the, the jobs are. But actually, my question then, and maybe you can shed some light on this, is what is the what is our responsibility? Because I feel like so much responsibility is on the institution and actually mm. is, is the role to ensure or is our role to ensure that the artists that we support stay in the places where we are? Like, what, right, what, right. What does that offer? Margate's an interesting one. Um, I've visited once mm-hmm. um, just to go to the Turner Contemporary. There was the Sonia Boyce show. Um and I just remember thinking to myself, like, um, after having conversations with people who are sort of more familiar with the place, that there's this um, there's this idea that Margate's like this artist town, but I I think that's sort of sort of missing the mark a little bit. Like, I actually think the the folks who are able to sustain that Margate existence um or who have given margate this like um this reputation are not necessarily artists but are kind of like people working in this like extended creative industries like including like advertising and get to work from home and don't you know can afford that commute because i mean it's also like getting there it's like I don't know, it's like 30 pounds or something like that. I mean, that's kind of quite a bit. Like, I don't, I'm like, I don't think artists, I mean, big artists can make it work, but it doesn't seem, um, it doesn't really seem like a sustainable ecosystem um, at this point. Or at least that was my perception. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, an expert on gentrification. I, 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 I don't know. Really? I thought you were. <laughs> but I think, I think, yes, probably in parts. I, I think it's just that, what am I trying to say? I think there's some really exciting things happen happening there. There's some great project spaces, or sorry, commercial galleries like Roland Ross or 243 Lutz. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm. Um, but I think, for me, it's still that question of um, like retention and how important it is if yeah. an art school like Open School East is investing in these students 
is it important that they stay and contribute to that economy that they've been part of? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder that all the time with thinking about students um, just, you know, in London, Mm -hmm. like one of my close friends um, went to the Slade last year, moved back home. And I just, yeah, I just wonder about um, this, like, I feel fortunate that I kind of landed in London, came through an arts administration program, which is a bit different, um, but have able been able to kind of carve out like a small space for me here in, in whatever way. But that also, you know, took a lot of work. I understand there's like definite, you know, privilege at work here with even being able to do that. But uh, yeah, I just, I feel like it's this... Um, not to be like extremely cynical, but I feel like some of the art programs just seem kind of like these turnstiles mm-hmm. that just turn people around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder how, yeah, I just wonder how valuable that experience necessarily is. I mean, this is not trying to be anti-academia, no, but, right? And, you know, like, I think it's a really important point though. And, and I, I don't know either. I, you know, I taught at the Royal College for a year, it, it you know, th- there were a lot of students and a lot of students that were really suffering from lack of space. Mm. Um, and I don't want to studio space, studio spaces, yeah. yeah. And I don't want to name and shame institutions, but it 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 does feel like a commodity in a way that it didn't feel like when I was a student, yeah. which was to go and you know learn and to be free to test bed ideas. And right now, because the fees are so high. I don't think that luxury can be afforded in the same way. Um, And I was talking to a friend of mine that Roland Ross, who runs the commercial gallery I mentioned in Margate, and he said, you know, went to an unnamed art school for a master's, spent £10,000, said it was an absolute waste of time. Mm. Um, So I I don't know where this is going, but I, I think that, you know, there is a massive shift and it's a really, really difficult time not just for artists but for everybody and yeah. you know the market also dictates the way the art world works that is a you know it is the art world sure and in some ways art is a luxury item when you're yeah. thinking about it from those terms so there's less money coming um coming in, in 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 that respect especially for you know the kind of um more emerging practice yeah. that we're, we're well, talking about. Well, actually, so th- it's interesting that you mentioned, like, art-interested people mm. and connecting them. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about the, the the shifting landscape in which, like, art is supported in the UK, especially with kind of new policies from the Arts Council. Um, it seems like, you know, funding is getting... It's certainly not growing, Right. Um, and so platforms, art institutions need to be developing new kind of new strategies to support themselves. Mm-hmm. But then it's also sort of like when it comes to artist fees, when it comes to um, like putting money in the pocket of artists, that's also kind of a, a struggle. Um, I think there's a perception amongst a lot of people that um, especially if you sort of like believe in more values or ethical driven um ethics driven p- 
platforms that kind of like the art market is all evil、mm-hmm. and that、um, the only way to be like truly kind of sustainable in an ethical way is to go like completely nonprofit. But I've been wondering to myself, you know, with this gap in funding、um, and also just this emergence of kind of like new wealth in、uh, areas like technology、um, where there might be younger art interested people with kind of disposable income, like, is there a responsibility that we have in? Literally teaching people how to buy art, and may, and and could that kind of close some kind of gap?、Um, because in the states, there's a much bigger、um, there's a much bigger culture of individual donations,、mm-hmm. which is just it's a product of the tax code and a product of policy. The UK doesn't really have that because I think it's followed this European model of art should be free. It's supported by the state. You're already paying for it、mm. through your、um, your tax contribution.、Mm. Um, there's also kind of like that patronage thing in the states, where sort of yeah, you might find people who work in as a lawyer or something like that have a nan golden in their、uh, living room、uh, because they have the ten grand to to pay for it. But you know, I guess I just wonder: are there elements of the commercial art world that That maybe could be,、um, that could be like leveraged in, in this moment where kind of like we're trying to understand how to continue support. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does.、Um, and if you figure it out, will you tell me? Because that's yeah, know, the ultimate、right? exactly. question. <laughs>、um, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a massive expert, so I, I can just give you my opinion. But in short. Yes, I think what we really want to protect is that the government continues to fund the arts, and that、right. there isn't this leveling down agenda that then gets filled with private、right. money. So that might be naive, but、mm. I imagine where that some of that comes from.、Um, yeah, not not to be like a policy wonk here. It's like when you read "Let's Create."、Mm. Um, You know, I, to me, it seems pretty obvious that the Arts Council is kind of signaling, like,、uh, you know, you might need to make your own money now.、Um, I don't know if you feel that way. I'm relatively new in. Well, I'm super new in this post, so I, I think so. Yeah. But I think what's not happening is how to do that. Right. Exactly. Because, It's like where is that? What's going to fill that gap? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually, a colleague of mine asked that quite public question as well. What are you going to do to help us be more sustainable? Right. Right. Because that infrastructure in the US, it doesn't exist here in the same、mm. way. And you know, there is a lot of support from commercial galleries、um, and individual giving, but not at the scale that you have in the US、yeah. because of the tax breaks. But I think what happens is. There's the same pools of small funding pots, trusts, foundations, the same small pool of individuals that all of our institutions are going to. So actually, sure,、right. you know, your question of how that could expand out, expand into an art curious or other sector,、mm. I guess that's art curious. I love this. I know I sound like that's my、um, my colleague Will Jarvis from <laughs> Gertrude、um, uses that word, but I think there's definitely room、yeah. to do that.、Um, well, you know, I think about too like.、Um, How in basically,、uh, you know, I don't think the Rockefellers would have ever donated 
as much money as they did to sort of performing arts venues and murals and mm. national parks in the United States if, um, you know, and their money was from like oil without someone like kind of making them do it. Mm-hmm. But then I'm sort of like, I don't know. Why can't we figure out how to make like tech yeah. bros like pay, like pay for this stuff? Or like, why are they not interested mm. in this? You I, know, I think, I think you're right. I think it's, it feels like we're in an impasse um, and it's really, really difficult financially right now for all art institutions and that the person that suffers the most is the artists. Mm. Um, and I, I think that the, there's a great Italian-American academic, Mariana Mazzucati. You know? Oh, yeah, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah. She wrote this great book, it might have even been during the pandemic, called Mission Economy, and it was about how the public and private sector work together mm. to land on the moon. Oh, wow. So, like, how do we make a shift in our thinking? What does that look like? Mm. So, your, you know, your point around, I, I think what you were saying is, how do we ask different questions to get there? Mm. Um, but beyond that, I was, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, so is your position as director, do you, do you have, um, how much of that, deals with things like fundraising or are you more sort of like an artistic artistic program yeah. director I, w- I wish i was just artistic no, it's, <laughs> it's all of it so we're a tiny team yeah uh, there's just four of us and so so there's me the director we have program curator program coordinator and then admin support um and i'm responsible for overseeing everything amazing so the financial side of things fundraising and then the artistic vision yeah. as well. Um, and then all the kind of legal reporting that we have to do mm. in terms of HMRC, Charities Commission. Yeah. And then, of course, Arts Council as well. So I think these questions are really, really on my mind. Um, and, and that's a benefit of being new as well. You can you know, come in with fresh eyes. Yeah, and, exactly. And really try and see the USP of what it is you do. Yeah, especially um, in a moment that is, it seems like a lot of institutions are sort of like having to to come up with new ideas mm. and and sometimes when you have like a lot of uh you know people who have been on staff for years and who are used to one way of operating it it, it might be hard to be kind of dynamic like that mm. um so it's like a good moment yeah i yeah. think i think so and i think because new contemporaries is 75 next year i think that's a really good message to get behind it's an incredible legacy so it's trying to leverage things like that and, yeah you know and I also think what you know we have this great young energy and that is something really exciting to celebrate so I think it's about the messaging and how you talk about what you do as mm. well and yeah. and actually there isn't really much like new contemporaries there's some great programs that I've mentioned but I think that we can do much more to lead a national conversation yeah. around what it means to support artistic practice and what we want that to look like in the future. Yeah. And I certainly think part of that is about collaborating much more and sharing yeah. resources um, and certainly between public and private as well. Because is, Yeah. Is the remit England or is it the four nations? Just... So it's a good question, actually. So our, our funding comes from Arts Council England. Right. Um, but I believe New Contemporaries has worked 
in Scotland. Okay. And, yeah. and we do all, all, actually what I should say is we get applications from artists in Wales or Northern Ireland or Scotland and we actively encourage that. Okay, great. Yeah. But we haven't been out to work. Right. And so the, the, the exhibition, it always starts in sort of a regional, regional gallery yeah. in North London. So or... I, I think since 1991, it became a touring exhibition. And part of the reason that it opens regionally is because it's really important that we're not just London centric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that we want to connect art students with London because it's still the center of the art world. Sure. Or the art yeah. world. I was well, say yeah. art world in London, but I guess it is <laughs> to a point. But but that's an important thing to not pretend it isn't. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean for professional development having a foot in London yeah. is like pretty important. Yeah. yeah. But it's important that to see that there's other art worlds and sure. there's yeah. other exciting things happening around the UK. So that that's a reason for doing that. But I think I think there's a lot more we could do in terms of um you know, encouraging, it's still a real high proportion of London students that yeah, apply, actually. Yeah. So, what, you know, when we talk about this picture of best emerging practice, I'm not sure that that's actually what's what's happening. Um, but that, you know, like I said, that's the benefit of being you. You can drill down into all of these things. Yeah, yeah. I went to, um, I'm starting to get out of London a little bit more. Good. I went to um, a gallery, also, yeah, Northwest. Um, called Touchstones not too long ago. Touchstones what, at Rochdale. Okay. And okay. had an amazing um, exhibition. I think it used to be called the Rochdale Art Gallery. Okay. And um, I think hosted New Contemporaries at some point, but did this sort of retrospective of, um, you know, exhibitions that it had in like the late 70s, mm-hmm. early 80s. And... Um, it was this amazing show of also thinking about like what a local gallery can kind of like mean to its regional population. Mm. <clears throat> and I remember there was this one poster. It was like, a, um, yeah, there was one bit of the exhibition that was um, uh, curated to show like their old kind of like show posters. And one was um, Laurie Anderson and it was also in, uh, so it was in English and everything in the late 70s, early 80s um, at that uh, gallery was also um, translated into Urdu because there's a large Pakistani yeah. community there. And it was just like the, the most beautiful typography. And also just thinking, because now you sort of go to Rochdale and, um, the, you know, I think it was mining, which was like the yeah. big, yeah. Um, you know, economic driver there. And you just, you, you really feel, well, I, I think it was good for me to get out of London. I mean, you know, I think communities in London are certainly feeling their hardship right now, but also to, to really see kind of like what decades of kind of, changing economy and austerity yeah and and austerity what it's really looked like um but that gallery is doing really amazing things Mm -hmm. and it sort of it was my first interaction with something like that where I felt like actually it was very similar to South London Gallery or Camden Mm Art Center but just up north right so my question to you would be how do you know it's doing really well and who is it doing really well for? Yeah, well, yeah. Because, I mean... you know, we make a lot of assumption. Of course, you and I think there's great value yeah, and, there, yeah. and there is, you know, I'll, I'll argue that forever. Um, but 
certainly you know we opened our exhibition this year at the Grundy in Blackpool it's an area I know really well because really close to where I grew up and and decades of austerity is so apparent there Mm. it's really really extreme and someone said to me oh it's really great for the artists to come here and it's great for Blackpool and I just thought is it well Um, yeah and why yeah that's a great question yeah not because I'm trying to be deliberately antagonistic but actually you know we talk about doing all this great engagement but is that actually what we're doing and is it actually giving a benefit to the local community yeah in the way that we might go around saying it's interesting I was at welcome collection recently Mm. um with a group from from work so some researchers and um we had a conversation there and someone from welcome um um I'm forgetting names off the top of my head Uh, it's just been like a very intense month (laughs) of running around but um asked this really interesting question too about like you know on the front of sort of inclusivity when it comes to art spaces like how do we make sure we're inclusive and not being like patronizing Mm. that sort of um you know our program is good Mm. for you you Mm. know so it's you want to have the invite to be inclusive Mm. to people who want to be included right Mm -hmm. where it's not sort of like a um yeah sort of demanding that this be the thing Mm. that is going to suddenly like and you know to quote the to quote the great jerry saltz art (laughs) is for and no art is for anyone not everyone right right and also you know this again there's just so much pressure on art institutions to be social workers you know like it's crazy and you don't have those same demands on of course it's public money but even other parts of public the public sector you know I I think we have to look at that as well um but I you know I think it is interesting to think about the role of exhibition making today Mm um I think of course you know there's been a big social turn for all the reasons we know and, and that development in in social practice um and it was really interesting being in margate and the exhibition at the turner contemporary is um mark lecky and he has called himself an editor not a curator which i really liked and has essentially sort of convened a set of musicians artists to respond to a theme that he had set which includes a number of new commissions And the exhibition feels site-specific or responsive in the sense that there isn't this linear experience of it. And Mm. I I thought it was really made me think about, you know, what does it mean to see an exhibition, an experience in an exhibition? Um, Because I think, and of course, I always refer that back to what we're doing at New Contemporaries, because I think, again, this level of engagement, is it enough that we're just putting artists' works in an exhibition and they think, they feel great I can tick this off my CV like is that what's that experience like for the visitors yeah is you know is it okay that it feels a bit like a Royal Academy summer show sometimes and I don't mean that as a criticism but Mm -hmm. you don't really put exhibitions together in that way where you bring together so many disparate practices so you know this question around what is it 
that we're trying to do who is it for and of course it's for there are many layers and many different people that mm. it that it is for I'm not quite sure where I'm going with it but. yeah no no it, it actually it made me think of a couple things um I always think about the the Antony Gormley sculpture Angel of the North and sort of uh, to me that's very emblematic of this yeah. thing where I think the intention there was, well, we're going to provide art and culture mm. to an area which needs it, right? Mm. Where um, the driver was some kind of economic driver mm. to bring in tourism and the the kind of the divisiveness within mm. people where, you know, some people really didn't want it or some people thought it was actually misuse of money, Um to me, it always seems like I actually think the art world, the visual art worlds could learn a little bit from other creative industries. And in like I always think Angel of the North to me is like we're going to put on one U2 concert in this <laughs> one city and everyone will appreciate music now. You know what I mean? It's sort of like... <laughs> I actually love that sculpture. Well, I mean, that's I, the thing too. You know, controversially, I remember it going up and I, I, think, I think it's an incredible piece of public art because, again, that question, that I, it, not everything has to do everything. It mm, can be enough that it's just too. a great piece of work. And I think it's interesting your point around what can we learn. Of course, we can all learn from other sectors. But, um, you know, my, my predominant, almost substantial background is, is in public art, actually. Oh, interesting. So I didn't I, know that. Yeah, yeah. So I worked for Art in the Underground, which is Transport for London's oh, cool. public art yeah. programme. And we, we the offices are based in the TfL offices. So you're sat with British Transport Police, town planners. Um, you know, you are the only, like, a mini arts organisation yeah. within this much bigger ecology. And we would have to... You know, I would say 80% of my job was advocacy and, you know, trying to get people on board with, with ideas for these pro- projects. And we work with people like, you know, Linda, incredible um, second generation feminist artist, Law Provost, you know, not your kind of likely artists for the public right, realm. Right. So a lot of the time it was about how we, you know, the kind of lead up to installing a, a piece of public art and how you work with communities or people or your stakeholders let's let's say stakeholders to talk about why and how you're doing what you're mm. doing so that it's not just what what we might call plop art that's been parachuted right right, in, right. which is often the um the, the criticism but i i loved that job because you you they, they were, people would not take your bullshit in mm. the sense of it, you could not come in with any international art speak or they didn't mm. people did not care and they could see yeah. right through it so you had to be super diligent in a really different way to how we you know might be used to working now and i think that is such a good backbone or mm. gave me such a like my most significant training yeah for want of a better expression because right. you learn to talk to and, and more importantly you learn to listen to people so mm. you're not just in an echo chamber yeah yeah, especially with public art, I, I don't think you... And, and maybe this has just been my perception with that Anthony mm. Gormley sculpture. Um, I, th- I think you're probably right in lots well, of ways. I, I mean, it's, it's just, also just a feeling. Yeah, I yeah. could be wrong. But, but your, you know, that, your feeling is probably many... <laughs> in fact, I know as many people's yeah. feelings. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do just wonder, like, um, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're making the case for, you know, 
for art, for art that is going to have implications, you know, in a broader sense. Um, like who's who's being asked about, mm. you know, what the art is, or like I think about, like the idea of accessibility, is is you know kind of a loaded one because it's sort of like well what is the thing you're making accessible as well like what what do you mean though because that maybe presupposes that you need to make things accessible for people because they won't understand and that's also my other slight bugbear right that is that people aren't stupid right so we don't need to dumb things down from our you know art world ivory tower no, I think not having a go at you. By the no, way. no, no, no. <laughs> I think when I think about, or when I said, you know, um, accessibility, mm-hmm. I just mean sort of like, you know, is it going to c- cross the eyes of people? Like, is it going to, um, you know, is the marketing going to land, mm-hmm. you know, in someone's feed or, you know, something like that? Like, is it going to? Is it going to make people want to engage with something? Um, and then I just think like, well, what is the thing that that we want people to engage in mm. in the first place? Like for me, um, at least I think of Anthony Gormley as just kind of like emblematic of kind of like art market practice. Mm. You know, I th- I think I think the practices, but I think all those points are really how you would start to conceive of a public art mm. um, program or, or sculpture or w- whatever is, is, is that question of who is it for? What do we want to achieve and how are we going to do it? Cause actually if it's just about something looking nice in the landscape, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just about owning that. And actually right, that's really right. important. And I think that, the Angel of the North does an amazing job. I can't believe we're talking about Anthony Gormley. <laughs> does an amazing job at that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it speaks to the industrial North in in the materials. Mm. It's incredibly, you know, this huge, powerful figure. I, yeah, I know. think I think the reason I'm thinking of Anthony Gormley too is um, he had a sculpture at the Turner when I went there. Yeah. In the, in the and sea. We, yeah, we were just talking about the Turner, so. I actually um, like those works. I, I yeah. mean, in the sea as well. Yeah. You know, I think those are the works that do really well. It's just when that becomes, when you see, you know, in my mind, those are successful pieces of public art, but then yeah. they get sort of commodified in the sense that the market or or the artist or whoever is like, okay, that was successful. I'm just going to keep rolling that out. And that's yeah. when it starts to lose its power yeah. because, you know, those two works in Margate and in, Northumberland works so well because they've been conceived so well for the site. Sure. And they bear great, you know, parity to the landscape that they're in. Yeah. Have an amazing relationship. You know, the fact that the waves flow over. I still can't believe I'm talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, I can make it worse. Okay. Uh, I remember one time um, I was at some art fair and I saw these beautiful prints that were like, you know, screen print, um, halftone. There was like foil stamping in them, like gorgeous. And I was like, who made these beautiful prints? (laughs) And it turned out it was Jeff Koons, who like, I feel like I have to hate, but um, they were amazing. And I was like, God damn it. But, you know, these are... These, they became huge figures because they were, well, they are, whatever you think, great artists there, there, there are these jeff coons I mean, flowers at the prada foundation in milan 
that are incredible yeah I mean I was I mean, like I, he's a great example because he knows exactly what he's doing with the market right, and right. he is playing the market that that's what the practice is um so that he, he did his job with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking going back to working at TFL um it reminds me a little bit and I was talking to another uh, guest, Harry Bix. We were talking about kind of like maintenance art mm. and this idea of um, he was talking about um, someone who was really influential um, on him who was sort of like an artist in residence in, I think, the New York City Department of Sanitation. And um, I'm also thinking about like artist placement group mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just... I was wondering if like if you could expand a little bit on more on that experience of like kind of being embedded within more of a yeah more of like a public works mm. situation. I I think that's I mean I think that's why I'm really interested in artists role in society because I have such significant experience or, or, you know, a big chunk of my career was spent working in those contexts Yeah, that were actually really well funded and really well resourced. So when I, when I was at TFL was funded directly by the mayor's office and we had great budgets. And so we could work with artists over a really long period of time and pay them essentially a salary. Mm. Um, we give them, they'd have a free travel card for a year so they could really get to know the environment that we were inviting them into. I yeah, think that, amazing. you know, maybe not answering your question, but that that's the way we worked as a programme, is um, to, to produce things that are site-specific. Yeah. Were, were um, there any projects that you feel particularly proud of from that time? Yeah, or? so many. I mean, yeah. I, I really had the most incredible time and, you know, I really, really love my colleagues from that time. But I, I worked with... Um, Assemble, you know, the collective oh, design yeah. and architectural collective Assemble um, at Seven Sisters Station, which is on the Victoria yeah. Line in North London. And I would always make a real effort when I was a curator there to go and talk to the people in the station. So every week I would go off and talk to a different station because essentially that's your, um, you know, that's your site, that's your gallery. Yeah. And also there's these incredible people who are on the front line that are seeing society every, every single day. Yeah. So just have amazing stories. Mm. Um, of like the, you would talk to the TFL workers or is this yeah. like, uh, again, yeah, yeah. going up to strangers and... Uh... Well, not necessarily strangers, <laughs> but yeah, to- sorry, talking to the frontline staff, so people yeah. in ticket offices. Because oh, cool. um, part of that was about the maintenance of existing works, but also just to get to know those communities in terms of thinking about how do you bring art in because it's it is a strange concept bringing art into a transport network it sounds mm. incredibly dry when you say it but just to preface that tfl has i mean forever a super fan <laughs> an incredible legacy of art and design so in the early 20th century there was an amazing managing director that really believed that art and design is social and it improves our experience of the world mm. so he commissioned people like Henry Moore to make permanent artwork for the station um, Man Ray to make marketing posters oh, cool. like Enid Marks to make fabric designs for the yeah, seating I think I've seen the Man Ray posters it's, actually it, for TFL you yeah. probably have they're beautiful yeah. and so they have this unbelievable archive mm. and part of what Art on the Underground the contemporary programme does is to celebrate that legacy mm. um, so it's, it's not just in art you know when you're travelling those great Charles Holden stations on the Piccadilly line they're like yeah. incredible architectural design um, 
so the program comes with that amazing legacy and and that's something really wonderful to be able to celebrate and wonderful to be able to bring an artist into right i was um, just gonna say about like artist researchers or yeah. like if there's an archive that like yeah residents yeah. could yeah you, you can know. you can access the archive at the transport museum or also that there's a depot um but that's essentially what we would do is really run although we wouldn't frame it like that but artist residencies and we would invite people into the archive. We would um, perhaps have an idea of a site or a kind of set of sites that we wanted to work with and a kind of umbrella concept. And we would work with them for minimum one, two, three, sometimes five years. Yeah. So when when I worked with Assemble, um, we, we'd made friends with the station manager there. And he, he had said to us, can you come and do something at Seven Sisters Station? There's a terrible problem with antisocial behavior. Mm. It would be amazing to have some art and I was like, well, you know, again, what's That's a art's... big challenge, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and what's art's role? Right, it, It's right. not to be a sticking plaster. So what, you know, but I loved that station manager. Um, and I'd been doing a little bit of work with Assemble elsewhere on another project. So I essentially invited them to do a mini, um, what's the word for it? Consultation project. Mm. So to kind of look at the area and see see if they could do something. Um, what I didn't know at the time was that TFL are one of the biggest um, land owners or building owners after the Crown estate. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of vacant property. And Assemble came and did that amazing thing that artists did and said, great, there's this derelict shop that's part of the station that I hadn't even noticed. We want that and we want to turn it into something. Mm. And we, we spent they had a desk at Seven Sisters Station, so they would work from the station just to get to know how people used it. Um, and one of the things that TFL is really well known for is its tiles. Um, mm. And that, particularly the um, Victoria line, it has, um, each station has its own design of tile and part of that was to help people who might not be able to read, identify what stations they oh, were at wow. historically. Yeah. So we... We, we essentially decided to design a tile for Seven Sisters. Mm. We invited an artist called Matthew Raw to work with us. Assemble are great. They're really collaborative. We, we, we made the newsagents structurally safe and we turned it into a ceramic workshop. Amazing. And we, we worked with the local community to design a tile for Seven Sisters. And we um, also worked at the Prince's Trust. So we had an apprenticeship programme so a number of young people from the area that worked with us to design the tiles. All those tiles were handmade on site in the station. And then they clad the building that we'd rebuilt in these kind of bonkers, bright yellow, blue, green, handmade yeah. tiles. So literally that community had built. That is so tiles. cool. And it, yeah. it, it's like this insane folly that is completely at odds with all the regeneration you know kind of glass boxes you're seeing built everywhere um i could talk about this project forever (laughs) and the the final part of it because of assembles involvement is that it had a function so that it Mm. wasn't just a kind of um dead if you like sculpture um so we we turned it into a cafe and we i worked for two years with TFL to get them to agree to um, peppercorn rents, a free rent for the first year for a local business. And we eventually opened in, I think it was 2017, and the cafe's still there now. So it's just a little coffee shop, um, but it's it's also a living artwork designed by Assemble. So for me, it's, it's beautiful because 
it's incredible to look at it's absolutely bonkers yeah. but it's it's you interesting know. i think i'm heading up there this afternoon oh, so I'll, i mean yeah, i'm just looking at it online here but yeah, yeah it, i mean yeah what an amazing i mean it's sort of yeah like you were saying before it's sort of like we're asking artists and people in the cultural sector to be kind of answering these big questions mm. right about um but in a way i mean uh, i feel like this is sort of like imaginative on a on a real estate level on a sort of um education level mm. um in a yeah just community project mm. level um it, but it also then again it mu- it's got to be really hard to then measure or have to then turn around and kind of like report on um or understand if it uh, you know other than being kind of like aesthetic mm. and um and you know playing this interesting role in in that space like then also like how do you measure its um impact or mm. is that even necessarily mm. important like yeah, I mean, it's it's a massive part of what we have to do as national portfolio organisations. Yeah. So um, that that's all the organisations that get core funding from the Arts Council, like Camden Arts Centre. Sure. New Contemporaries is a national portfolio organisation. And it, it's a massive call from, you know, government as well. And, and, and that is not an easy thing to answer because how do we essentially quantify the value of arts in a system that... Is not necessarily set up right. to to measure that impact, but I think I think it's just about you know for a project like that at TFL, it's it's about starting with a set of principle or guiding questions, and mm. then asking yourself if it's still doing those things at the end. So sure, that project was about placemaking, about co-creation opportunities with the community, and about making something that looks good, and about yeah. legacy, and right. you know. It, it, it still does all of those things. Yeah. So in that sense, it's a success. Yeah. I would have taken one of the um, workshops if, if, oh, I, if I, I was around. I've slightly, I've sneakily got quite a few of those tiles in yeah. my house. They're beautiful. <laughs> that um, is so cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Kira. I really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> thank you for having me. And no I problem. always enjoy talking to you. Thank all you. Right, thank you. That was Kira Blakey, everyone. Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you all for listening. I can't wait to see the next new contemporaries at Camden Arts Center. Maybe see some of you there. Maybe not. I don't know. I'll be at Whitworth Art Gallery this weekend for Bound Art Book Fair. I will be doing live interviews at the fair, and I'll be producing a special episode, um, hopefully midway through the fair. If not, check back early next week. We have some really exciting guests coming up. Remember, if you are enjoying this podcast, to please share with your network. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time.